Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Really praying about that next sermon series, what we were going to talk about. We believe that we needed to study the epistle of James. So let's talk about culture right now. I have to be very honest with you. I thought in many ways we have gotten a lot further with certain topics. I believe when you look at American history that you could say that we've come a long way with certain things. Do I get an amen for that? Certain things that we would say we have come a very long way when, when it comes to certain topics like racism, discrimination. And we would say, like, wow, if you look 100 years ago and you look at where we were just a couple years ago, like, wow, we've made a, a really big step forward. And I think if we deny that, I think that we are fooling ourselves that we did not make these great strides. We've made great strides as a nation. I think when you look at other nations and what's going on with discrimination and racism, that, that it's actually worse off. But the thing that we have fully dealt with it, I think we would be very incorrect and wrong for us to do so. And I remember this past, past year thinking like, wow, either two things have just happened. We either, either have taken many steps backwards or there are certain things that we've never fully addressed as a nation and as a church. Growing up in Bergen County, it wasn't a topic that I had to deal with. And for some of us who have grown up in Bergen County, it's not a topic we had to deal with. But playing college football in the Midwest, in the mountains of Missouri, I was quickly educated that discrimination and racism is still a big deal. I'll never forget, I was at a Christian college, and while I was at a Christian college, one of my friends was telling me how he got pulled over by a police officer. <clears throat> and the police officer not only interrogated him, but actually wanted to bring him down to the police station. And he said to me, he said, Rob, if you got pulled over, you might have gotten a ticket or a warning, but what happened to me would have never happened to you. And I was so naive to it. And I remember then going back and thinking about how true this actually is. When you look at what happened in Minneapolis, and then when you, that now what you're looking at what's happening in the Asian community we do see that there is discrimination still in our country. Yes, we've come a long way, and I do believe, I do believe that COVID has made everything get magnified, everything get worse. But maybe this is a good thing. Maybe it's a good thing for the church to have to sit down and say, what does the Bible say about these topics? And the problem is, is oftentimes churches, what they do is it's just a hot topic. It's a hot topic. May I have my water, honey bun? <clears throat> Excuse me. It's a hot topic. Let's just talk about hot topics. I think we need to study the word of God for what the word of God says. Amen? And if we really study the word of God, every issue that we are going through culturally, we will see how the apostles, how the scriptures address it. And here's what I want to do this morning. I want to see what James says 
about discrimination, not because we're just kind of pulling this up as a hot topic, but because this is where the scriptures are leading us. Because I believe our church has done a really, really good job. But yet we can do a much better job. Do I get an amen for that? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, I ask you that your word would speak truth. And not just your word, but your spirit would make your word alive to us. Alive in a way that we would look at your word in such a way that it would not only convict us, but challenge us to be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn with me to James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. If you don't have your Bibles, it will be on the screen behind me. James chapter 2, verse 1 through 4. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry, and another comes in, in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor. Well, does this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So let's talk about the background, what's going on. One of the things that we have to realize when we're talking about the epistle of James it's very different than if you were going through Corinthians, if you're going through Ephesians, if you're going through Philippians. James was writing to the big church, not to a singular church. So when Paul was writing to Ephesus, there were multiple churches all throughout the city of Ephesus. And so when Paul would write a letter, it would circulate amongst the churches. But when James was traveling from church to church... He was seeing what was going on in each church, finding commonalities, and then he wrote a big letter, a large letter in such a way that, that it was broad. It was for every single church that would read it. Yes, the, you could learn from the church of Ephesus. Yes, you can learn from the church of Corinth, and you can learn all these things. But was James was writing the letter, he was saying, I'm seeing a problem in the church. And what's interesting is that the church went through different waves of growth. And one of the things that he saw was that there were two words going on. And he points these out. Two things that were generally happening in churches. Not all the time, but if he saw it once, he's like, hey, I can talk to the leaders over here. You know what, I see it again, I can talk to the leaders over here. A third time I can, I can go talk to these leaders over here. But, but he saw a commonality that was so far from the church had come from that he said, there's an issue that needs to be addressed. And the two words, the problem at hand was favoritism and discrimination. He's very deliberate in how he talks about this. Favoritism, giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. So who did he favor? You see, one of the most beautiful things about the early church is that it was so diverse. It was diverse ethnically, and it was diverse financially. 
there wasn't a lot of classes in the early church. Because when it was becoming like that, persecution came and the church just spread all over the place. When the church just tried to stay in Jerusalem, there was persecution and the church just spread all over the place and all of a sudden the church just started growing and growing and growing and growing and it was a beautifully diverse group of people. And as a plant, that was our hope, that we would be a beautifully diverse group of people. And that's one of the most beautiful things about being a church plant is you get to start from the ground up. We get to create our own problems. I don't have to step into another church and their problems, but now I'm dealing with my problems, right? It's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, it's a frustrating thing. Because then you start seeing some commonalities that, wow, maybe these are my issues just as much as the church's issues. But the favoritism was this. Those who were wealthy were coming in and getting preferential treatment. Now, why is this so significant? Again, this is the importance of studying the word of God. Because the early church, the vast majority of the church, was in the lower income class. The vast majority of the church. You could even, there could even be an argument that over 85% of the early church lived in the lower class of society. But the gospel was so powerful. Healings, deliverances, life transformations. That everybody wanted to come out and see what was happening. Everybody wanted to show up. Everyone wanted to experience this power from on high. And when the wealthy people came, people recognized it. The horses were a little bigger. The chariots were a little cooler. They were dressed a little nicer. They had boots instead of sandals. And when people recognized them coming in, they said, hey, 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 come to the front row. Now, you notice during COVID, no one sits in these two front rows. They were afraid of the spit zone. They were afraid of the spit zone. Amen. Anyway, yeah, thanks, Pat. Right? They're afraid of the spit zone. So I keep moving back a little bit more, hoping people will fill in. They would rather sit in the back back than sit in the front zone. You notice how these two are over here, right? They're like, we're out of the spit zone. Right? But if someone, pre-COVID, they would have said, hey, go to the front of the seat. you got to be right up in front with Pastor Rob. And so they were favoring. And they were really doing this, they didn't realize they were doing it deliberately. But our humanness, when put in certain situations, elevates its ugly head called evil motives that James called it. And as we talked about two weeks ago, evil desires. Wow. Maybe they'll come and I can get a job from them. Wow. Maybe I can be associated with them. Wow. Maybe they'll give to the building plan. Right? Wow. And so there's favoritism. But then what we also see is discrimination. The unfair or prejudicial treatment of people and groups based on characteristics such as race, gender, age, and even religion. So who was being discriminated? Those who had less. The poor people. Those who couldn't take care of themselves. James is so delivered, he talks about the dirty clothes. They came in a little stinky, looking a little different. Hey, thanks for coming, 
Hopefully you won't stay too long, but why don't you sit up in the balcony with the sound team? And as James was going from church to church, again, if it was, if it was a one-time scenario, he would say, like, hey, can I talk to your board? Can I talk to your leadership team? But as he started seeing this happening in churches and churches and churches, he's like, I have to address this. And how many of us like conflict? Anyone like conflict out there? Anyone? Anyone love conflict? Okay. Nobody really loves conflict. And if you do, then you have some evil motives and evil desires that need to be dealt with. And that'll be a prayer session. But there is this discrimination going on. And I think we need to be honest with ourselves that we've seen this all in our lives. And I know I use this example often, but it's the truth. I believe so much of our our evilness, even though we were born sinners, right? We can all say, like, right, when when a baby's born, they're cute, but by the time they're two years old, they're like, yes, they were born sinful. Especially little boys, the terrible twos, right? It's that idea that we realize we're born sinful, but we don't really see our motives and desires coming out to probably... 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th grade. And if you were to go into a junior high into the cafeteria, or if you go to Rampal Ridge, the cafetorium, you would see the beginning of favoritism and discrimination. Your athletes, your really smart kids, your artists, your skaters, And then all of a sudden, you're going to start seeing some ethnicities sitting together. Maybe someone who's Asian or Hispanic or black. And then you have those who are left out. Just kind of sit alone by themselves. But we don't see this in kindergarten, first, second, third grade, do we? And what's even sadder is that parents position their kids hey, maybe you should start hanging out with with Joey. He's a really good lacrosse player. And you know what? It would be really good to get on their team. I'm just going to make a quick little phone call. Dad, Mom, don't do that. Hey, hey, I I noticed when I brought something into school that you were sitting at that table, you probably need to start moving towards that table. Or during an athletic event or... Or maybe you see your kids walking around town with certain friends be like, hey, we love those kids, but, but these kids are better. And if we're fair, not only have we done this to our children, it has been done to us. And I think what I really struggle with, and I'm going to throw out a term, we've been saying that this is a systemic problem. A systemic dilemma. No, it's not. It's a human dilemma that has then gone into our systems. And what we have done as a nation or as people, we are capitalizing on certain things rather than calling sin for what it is. Sin. It's a human dilemma that's not just happening in the United States, but we see it's happening globally. And watch this. There's a bigger problem than we realize when we look at Scripture. And if you look at the New Testament alone, let me walk you through four different movements. John chapter 4, the woman at the well. Jesus had an agenda. That even though his mission was first for the Jews, but it was also for the Gentiles. 
And so Jesus, to get to one place to another, the disciples wanted to go around Samaria, but instead Jesus says, we're going to walk right through. And the, and the disciples are like, nope, we're good. We'll meet you there, Jesus. So Jesus begins to walk. And he sees someone living in a place of isolation. And the Son of God knows everything that's going on with that woman. And he sits down and he says, can I have a drink? And he gives her the water that quenches all thirst. The thirst of humanity. Through a heavenly water. And when his disciples come back, they're offended. They're angry. First a Samaritan, but then a female. I mean, this is a scandalous picture. Jesus alone at a well in the middle of the day when no one's around, but there is the Messiah with a woman who's a foreigner. What about Matthew chapter 19, 13, the disciples and the children? Jesus said, bring all the children unto me. Bring everybody, young and old. Young and old. Jew and Gentile. And as he's blessing them, you can almost see Peter trying to whack his hand. Whack his hand. Don't. Don't. Hey. Stop. And Jesus confronts him. Calls him out. Bring all the children to me. And then what you see is in the temple setting in Jerusalem, the Holy of Holies, the high holy place, And when you see the building and how it was built, you had inner courts and outer courts. You had the priests, then you had the men, the Jewish men, and then you had the female Jewish women, and then you had the foreigners, and then you had the disabled and the disorderly outside. And then all of a sudden, Jesus gives the church the Holy Spirit, and all of this was supposed to cease. He came for all people. Jesus invites all people to hear the gospel of Christ. Amen? Right? I'm going to say this. It's an inclusive invitation. Everybody's welcome. But it's exclusive in this. You have to give your life to Jesus. It's a decision we make. It's a decision we make. We spread the gospel of Jesus so everybody in our lives can hear. And it's a person having to make that decision. Whether giving Jesus their yes or their no. Amen? Theology proper. Orthodoxy. The invitation is for all. But are you willing to say yes? That Defines salvation. Whether or not you give Jesus your yes. And so Peter, the rock on which the church is supposed to be built, here you have the infilling of the the Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. He struggles with it. And he's supposed to go meet this man named Cornelius, a Roman. Someone who was God-fearing yet not Jewish. And he didn't want to go talk to him. Don't mess with the Holy Spirit. If you tell the Holy Spirit no, he will mess with you. He will mess with you. I told God, send me anywhere in the world but Bergen County. He won. 
He wins. Do you realize God wins? Do I get an amen for that? Anyone struggle with that? Yeah, let's all raise our hand. And so he, he finally has this divine moment when the Holy Spirit reveals himself to him. And this is what Peter says. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. People of God, I am tired of saying, well, we're getting so political. No, we need to be biblical. Biblical. Biblically, discrimination and favoritism is wrong. And as much as we want to call it a systemic problem, it's a human problem. It's a human dilemma. And if we don't get to the root of the human dilemma, of course it's going to mess up our systems. And yet, because of evil desires and motives, people love to capitalize on such terminology. So what I love about James is he addresses this issue step by step by step. Let's go through it. Addressing favoritism and discrimination. James chapter 2, 5. It's inconsistent with the heart of God. Listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. Hasn't God chosen the poor in this world to be rich in faith? Aren't they the ones who will inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? Remember what I said? I said when you, when you read the, the epistle of James, you don't even hear the name Jesus. But what he's doing is he's, he's basically taking all of his writings and he's writing it through the gospel. Look what, look what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, 3. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him. For the kingdom of heaven is whose? Whose? Say it out loud. Whose? Theirs. You see, when someone lives in a place of poverty or great need, they understand dependency. And so when you have much, you depend on yourself. Anyone like that feeling? Anyone like to depend on themselves? We all do. And James is saying that there's something that we can learn from living in a place of great dependency because those who are in great need truly understand, truly understand how God is Jehovah. You know what I love about the early church? <clears throat> is that when you look at the early church in Acts chapter 2, they said we're going to deal with this. Acts chapter 2. Those who are rich and those who are poor all came together and said, let's pool our money. Barnabas sold property to give to the church so that people who needed much were given much. And you see this church in Acts chapter 2, some time before when James writ had written this, that they were practicing caring for those who had less. You see, the more we have, the less dependent we are on Jesus. You see, there's a beauty about giving. God gives us to give away. God blesses us to bless others. God provides for us substantially so we can bring provisions to those in need. That's the Bible. And when we start hoarding things, we, we lose dependency on God. We take, our, we take our eyes off the gospel. We take our eyes off the work of the church. 
And I'm not saying that we need to live in a place of poverty, but I do believe the early church understood what it meant caring for one another. Second, favoritism and discrimination is inconsistent with the royal law. See, I love what James says in in, in chapter 2, verse 8. He calls the royal law what Jesus had said the second greatest commandment is. Yes, indeed, it is good when you obey the royal law as found in the scriptures. And what did Jesus say? Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus was selfless. He was always centered on others. And when we live in the royal law, which is loving your neighbor as yourself, and you see them in a place of need or being in a place of being excluded, what do we do? Well, I wouldn't want to be treated like that, so what would I do? I would invite them into my lives, into our lives, into my life. And when we see people who are different than us, or excluded, or this, or that, or, or put whatever label you want, but being treated a certain way, we say, how do we love those individuals as Christ has loved me? Because if you are truly a follower of Jesus, you realize in your greatest place of brokenness, Jesus stepped into your mess, no matter how bad, or big, or ugly it was, you would want to do the same for someone else. And I think the problem with some of these topics that are going on culturally is we don't even use a scripture. It's a little high horse. I actually see pastors positioning themselves with certain topics going on in society right now to position themselves for a little more fame. Isn't that what happened in the church of Philippi? What do you mean, Rob? That who threw Paul in prison? The pastors that were jealous. I mean, if we really want to live like Jesus, we must love like Jesus. What's one of our slogans here at the church? Everybody's welcome, but everyone must change. Everybody's welcome, but everyone must change. Amen? And each one of us deal with different things that Jesus wants to bring life to. Every area in our lives need to be redeemed by the power of God. But how can someone be redeemed if we do not invite them in? James continues, favoritism and discrimination is sin. We have, we have really, we've really messed with sin. Sin is anything opposed to God's character. That's simply what sin is, anything opposed to God's character. And what we've done is we, we really have kind of like lessened sin. Well, this isn't as bad as this. And this isn't as bad as this. Well, well, I didn't do that. But what we're about to see from James is sin is sin. God does not want you living opposed to his character. He wants you to be walking in a line with who he is and who he created you to be, a man and woman of God. It says in Verse 9 through 11, but if you favor some people over others, you're committing a sin. You're guilty of breaking the law. For the person who keeps all of the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. 
For the same God who said you must not commit adultery also said you must not murder. So if you murder someone but do not commit adultery, you have still broken the law. Well, it was a little lie. Dude, a lie's a lie. Can we all agree with that? Right? A lie's a lie. Well, it wasn't a big lie. It was like a white lie. Like, like what's a white lie? Well, I was trying to protect you. No, you are protecting yourself. Come on. We live in a society where we can just kind of manipulate so our sin does not look like the way that we want sin to be opposed to God's character. Do I get an amen for that? Right? You see what, you know what Jesus said? And this is what I love, this is what I love about James. He brings everything what James says. He says, even if you say in your heart, not out loud, even if you say in your heart, Raka, I hate you. You commit murder. You see, the belief of who we are as children of God dictates our behavior as children of God. Jesus says, even if you say in your heart, Raka, I can't stand you. Anyone ever say that this week? Did anyone say that this week? Okay, come on. Let's have a little, let's have a little come to Jesus moment. Anyone say that this week? Thank you, Pat. Thank you, right? Even if you say in your heart, James is saying like, sin is sin. Murder. Adultery. Hatred. Lying. It's all opposed to God's character. I really don't believe that people believe that God wants them to live in the fullness of life by trusting them, living in full dependence of who they are as God's children. And I see a lot of people saying that this is a topic. we're making it bigger than it is. If any one of you have ever come to the plant on a Sunday morning and you have felt excluded, I apologize. Everybody's welcome. But the moment you step in this room, you better be willing to change because the Holy Spirit's going to mess with you. Not Pastor Rob. He messed with me. He messed with me. In favor and discrimination, it affects how God judges us, how God judges us. Look at what James says. Again, he repeats everything Jesus says. So whatever you say or whatever you do, remember that you will be judged by the law that sets you free. You see, when we come to Jesus, we say, Jesus, take all of me. Here I am, here I am. Available. Right? Right? We're all like, here I am. That same spirit that sets you free through the law of God is the same spirit of how we judge each other, the same law. Look what Jesus says. For you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is a standard by which you will be judged. I'm telling you, that's Matthew chapter 7 too. I, people think I'm crazy. I think COVID is the most, health, the most healthiest thing for this country and this church and every church. Because everything that God has wanted to bring up in our lives and in our souls, they are coming to the top. And is it possible 
that in each of our lives, in us as a nation, and we as a church, that God is bringing some things that he says, I want to skim these things off you so you can be the church that I've called you to be, so you can be the person that I've called you to be. And maybe even, maybe even the nation that I've called you to be. But if we're not willing to take those things off that God is bringing to the top, we will miss out on the blessing that God has for us. Let me share a rich heritage that we come from. If you are part of the plant and you call the plant your home church, you come from a very rich heritage called the Krishna Missionary Alliance. I've been a part of several different denominations. I've been a part of the non-denominational church, and, and there's so many churches that I love. I came, we came from Cornerstone, love Cornerstone. They're a non-denominational church, but when we left Cornerstone, they sent us out to plant a church. I went to the board and said, I want to make sure two things. One, theologically proper we can sit under, and two, there's always an authority over us. And just through my studies at both NIAC and ATS, our leadership team and how they partnered with us to plant the church, we became part of the Christian Missionary Alliance. There are several reasons why we became part of the, the alliance, but I'm going to share one of them right now. A.B. Simpson, I need to start dressing like that when I preach, huh? Right? I just can't grow that beard. Maybe when I'm like 70. A.B. Simpson was one of the most well-known preachers in both Canada and the United States. He started off in Canada as a really strong Presbyterian pastor. He went down to Kentucky. I mean, talk about, talk about worlds of difference. And everywhere he went, he was like King Midas. It turned to gold. And he was like one of the most sought-after preachers, teachers in the whole United States. God knew that, that we kept drawing him for a burden for the lost, the least of these. And he knew that if he was going to ever get overseas to reach the world, you go from Canada, Kentucky, not really, and then you go to New York City. And he went to New York City. He took his wife and his children. A.B. Simpson went through a lot of pain in his life. He, he not only lost a sibling, but he lost a child, a young infant he lost. And when they went to New York City, they went to 13th Presbyterian Church, where it was this large mega church. He was making more than any other pastor in the city. He had a house, he had it all, everything was working, and when he first came, everyone loved him. Like, man, we love you, look what you're doing. You're reaching the neighborhood, you're, you're, you're filling up the seats, everyone, there's no seats in the house. But then the motives came in, and the desires came in. And when we look at our country, we can say that there are some different groups that have been discriminated against, right? Especially during COVID, we've seen some things rise to the, to, to the surface, but do you know the most discriminated group in the United States was in New York City at that time? The Italians. Italians discriminated? What are you talking about? We love the Italians. They gave us pizza, right? It was horrible. It was horrific. And the Irish. And so here you had people coming from their homeland to, the, to New York City, and A.B. used to go down there and just share the gospel. And bring them to church. Share the gospel. Bring the church. And finally their board said, hey, this was fun and this was cute and this was a novelty, but you're going to stop it. No more. And they started putting them in the balcony and putting them in different places like James was talking about. And they finally said, it's either them or us. Oh, no, you didn't. You know what A.B. Simpson said? I choose Jesus. And if Jesus is choosing them, I choose them as well. 
A.B. Simpson sent out a flyer to 30,000 different homes in Manhattan and said, if any of you want to change the world for Jesus, meet me at my house. Wow, that could be a big block party. Seven people showed up. Five women and two men. And he lit a fire in his living room because that's where the fireplace was. And they all got together and they said, Jesus, all of us, for the whole world. And because of A.B. Simpson's passion to love all people all the time, that everyone's welcome so everyone can change. Currently, right now in the United States, there are 1,975 CNMA churches. And globally, there's over 25,000 churches. Right now in our denomination, there's 6.5 or 6.7 million people that have come to Christ. And I'm not talking about the people 100 years ago. That's who I want to be associated with. That's who I want to be associated with. When we started the church, the plants, 12 and a half years ago, that's what we said. All of Jesus for all people. The church where everybody is somebody. The church where everybody is somebody. And if we ever want to be the church where everybody is somebody, we must see others as Christ sees us. We must welcome others just as Christ has welcomed us. We must love others as Christ has loved us. This was not planned, but this is what I want to do right now. If anything that I, if you have ever done this to someone, have been in a place of favoritism or, dis, or discriminating against someone, I want to lead you through a prayer of confession. This was not planned. This is a spirit moment. Every service looks different. But if you've been hurt by someone because of those two reasons, I want to pray a prayer of healing over you. Let's do this. Could you give me a little background music? Let's invite the Spirit. Holy Spirit, just come in this room. If you have ever been one of those individuals that has discriminated against someone or has caused favoritism, this is all I want you to say. Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me. Forgive me for any moment that I've ever favored someone over another. Forgive me for how I've ever discriminated someone because they were different than me. Forgive me. That's all I want you to say. Forgive me. And here's what I want you to pray. Holy Spirit, fill my heart. Fill my heart. I would have the heart of Jesus who loved me so much that he gave his life for me. Now if you've been someone who has been living in a perpetual place of feeling on the outside, I just want you to pray this, Jesus, forgive me for living in a place of defensiveness. 
My anger is stemmed from hurts, from pain, from shame. Would you heal me right now? Heal my heart. Make it yours. Heal my heart. Let's push this a little bit further. Maybe there's someone right now that that a name popped up who has hurt you, who's offended you. Maybe there's someone that you have hurt or you've offended, a name's popped up. I want you to say, Jesus, I give that person to you. The person I've hurt, forgive me. And if you make a way for me to make amends with them, I will go talk with them. Or maybe it's someone who's hurt you and you're able to just say, Jesus, I forgive God, this is the church that we have been called to lead. This is the church that you have called us to lead. Jesus only and only Jesus. All of Jesus for all people. Kingdom come. Will be done. As people look around our church. just as it is in heaven. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.